Triathlon Show 385. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we have the fourth Q&A of the year, and this one is on the topic of run training, in particular in a triathlon context, but we also have some questions about road running, marathon running, trail running, and so on. James Teagle, a scientific triathlon coach, is my co-host for today, and he has been on the podcast before, so you have probably heard him already. But as a quick introduction, he's been with scientific triathlon for around six years at this point, and he's himself a very handy triathlete. Uh, he races long course triathlon professionally, but also has a background of many years in elite short course racing. As you'll hear in the episode, we had more questions than we had time. So this is part one of the Q&A, and in a month or so, we'll tackle the rest of the questions for a part two of this Q&A on run training. Uh, we probably can get in a few more questions for that one. So if you want to send in more run-related questions for our part two, then you can do so. Just email me your questions and I'll add them uh, to the document and uh, we will tackle them, as I said, in, in a few weeks' time. Before we get into the Q&A, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. You can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique dryland swim trainer that allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming, as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work, including working your catch and your core activation. And it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back. And you can get a special bundle including a swim bench and a number of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatewinter.com for slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's the Q&A with uh, James Teagle. Welcome back to that Triathlon Show, James. Uh, are you ready for a bit of a Q&A? Hey, yep. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, um, ready for a bit of a grilling. So, yeah, can't, can't wait. Uh, yeah, yeah let's be fun. Let's let's get going. We got a lot of questions. I think this is the definitely the most questions we got so far uh, compared to the swim and the bike episodes. Um, and I try to order the questions a bit topically, so um, so similar types of questions are uh, after each other. So starting with some general questions, this one uh, I really like. Uh, the question is basically the rest between intervals. Should it be walking, running, or simply standing? Okay, so um, for most people, I'd say you want to keep moving uh, just to help remove any toxins, uh, keep the blood flowing, help, help with recovery from that strep. Um, there might be specific cases, uh, very intense where you're just trying to get, build up some kind of resistance to lactate, but yeah, mostly keep moving. I'd say, uh, whether that's walking or running depends on how, how fast you're running those intervals and how fit you are. Yeah. Uh, I think for a lot of workouts, 
they almost do what uh, do what feels best. Like I, I for, think for a lot of workers, it doesn't matter. Basically, what makes you feel best in performing intervals is the yeah. the way to go. For some workouts, like let's say you're really in the key phase for let's say a marathon or a half marathon, I tend to prescribe recoveries as jog recoveries, so that you have to do the the intervals, the race phase intervals with pretty high fatigue, which you will be doing in a race. But that's a specific scenario. And then there are some types of workouts, maybe short, high-intensity intervals, where you also want to keep moving uh, if you're doing something like one minute on, 30 seconds off, or something like that. Then the intervals are short enough that you maybe want to keep keep moving a bit to, to maintain your VO2. Whereas I think if you do longer VO2 intervals, then uh, personally, I prefer standing around there because they are long enough but um you could also be just walking that, that's my take on it anything to add there or should we move on no i pretty much agree um yeah i just go by what feels best unless you got a specific reason to to have to do something like uh stand there or yeah yeah or different. um next question should you run hills if you're going to race on hills uh ideally yes uh i live in cambridge uk <laughs> i race hilly races and so there's a lot of people I train around here. Uh, but yeah, I, I generally uh, run hills. It's completely flat around here, so it can be quite hard. Uh, and so anyone who's in a similar situation to me, uh, you know, you can do things like uh, some gym exercises, maybe even on treadmill, putting out a gradient. Uh, you know, gym exercises that can help squats, step-ups, deadlifts, lunges, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's differences in stride length, uh, and it helps muscle endurance. So yeah, if you can run hills, I would run hills. Um, yeah it's a lot easier. I, I don't i don't i don't have anything to add to that just one one thing that i'm always kind of thinking about and i don't have a good answer is if you do have hills around you or well you have the option to do a treadmill workout would you do a lot of your general endurance running on hills and then but then some workouts when you want to hit specific paces you still do them on kind of controlled a track or flat road or would you do a lot of your race specific workouts also also trying to really simulate the race course there what's your take there um i would try and mix up the terrain a bit uh so if you're doing your aerobic runs or even things like tempo runs i don't, I don't see an issue with going in the hills as long as you can manage the load and as long as you can manage the intensity i think it, it, it it's probably even uh, a good thing if you can do that uh so you probably use heart rate instead of pace to do that uh but yeah i'd certainly include some hills if you've got enough training history to to handle it and um, yeah you can handle the load basically yeah uh, the next question is from simon what do you think about the run walk approach so for example run 10 minutes walk one minute uh, for long uh, training runs is it as effective as running continuously um so it, it'll help give you your muscles a little bit of a break so use slightly different muscles um i think it depends on how again it, it depends on who you are and how much training you've done and what the aims of that, that particular session are. So if you're just building up into running uh, or building your volume or potentially you're you're getting into a marathon running block and you haven't done that much running before, then, yeah, I could see that being, being really useful um, and helping to prevent injury. And, you know, if you are injury prone, then that could be something that helps get your uh, training load up and time on legs up. Um, so, yeah, for some runners, I, I can see that being really useful. Um I don't think all runners need to do it at all um, because, to be honest, you, you probably do get a bit more out of just running. Um, but, yeah, in particular instances, there are cases that, yeah, you, you probably would prescribe run-walk and it would be the right thing to do. 
Yeah, yeah. I, um, well, I, I have one athlete right now, for example, who uh, he's uh, coming back from a surgery six months ago. I just started working with him, and and uh, we do a lot of run walks, but that's not long runs. That's every single run, and that's a common scenario. You come into training from not having done anything for quite some time then they're really useful i think that this question is asking specifically about the long runs and maybe in the context of somebody who does have the experience are they still useful i don't tend to prescribe them but i can i can see that they could be actually underutilized and for a lot of people even though i don't necessarily prescribe them personally it might be as effective to do 10 minutes run one minute walk as just straight running or pre- pretty much pretty close anyway it all, it all depends on uh, i guess where where you want to focus your training what is the objective is the long run itself the objective again if you are just working to finishing your marathon then maybe maybe it is useful to be just running but and practice that but if you if your key runs are some intervals later in the week or early next week then maybe you get as much aerobic benefit out of the run walk and but you can save your muscles a bit more so i I, for me i think they are underutilized and and i personally also underutilize them but I, i do think they are in a lot of cases effective even though we don't necessarily use them yeah i mean obviously um, like just yep. if you're if you're running in hills and your heart rate's going high then uh, and it's in zone three or zone four and you should be doing aerobic run then that's a good time to walk um so yep. that's just a take on it so yep. you know, it's not, yeah. not the wrong thing to be walking sometimes in your aerobic runs yeah but not um, good. next question is from paul what is the long-term pathway for improving running speed and thus running economy i think that's maybe a little bit of a and assumption that it's not if you improve running speed it could be a lot of things that you improve but that's the question i mean honestly probably just well not probably definitely just long-term consistency and increasing volume over time definitely will help you with with uh, the running economy side of things um you got to do other things as well if you want to get fast uh but things like staying in g3 very important and time in zone two very important as well uh, with that so generally you know it's a very broad question um I'd just say generally the old adage is <laughs> running a lot of the time easy and spending a lot, a little bit of time running hard and incorporating a bit of strength work and running drills. And, and if you're ready, some plyometrics. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a general answer, but you know, uh, it's a big question. So <laughs> I think it yeah. kind of covers it. <laughs> yeah, I've, it covers it. I think a lot of people are kind of aware of the, a lot of, a lot of, uh, running most of it easy some of it fast uh i think one thing that a lot of people are still aware of but maybe don't practice as much is the injury prevention side of things which might be different for different people but strength training is a huge part and for some people it might be mobility uh that sort of thing so yeah i also see that as so yeah injury prevention means not doing things too early or not not doing yeah absolutely and so you know there's there's there are some small things you can do maybe to improve slightly quicker but there, there is no shortcut here it takes time to build yeah. up um yeah and, really patient and- really patient build up and uh, yeah the 10 percent rule i think is like the biggest myth there is almost in, in training i think that's for a lot of people of course when you start out if you start with one kilometer then it's really a, a small increase but when you get to running 50 kilometers a week and then you increase by five kilometers if you do that every week and it gradually gets even more then that's just too big of an increase so that's that's not something to follow i think i think you just need to have a very patient build up uh, over yeah, a long time 
there's also no problem with just keeping the load the same for a little bit, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have to increase every week. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's what the rule not, yeah. oh, not necessarily yeah. implies, but a lot of a lot of people interpret it that way anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. So next, the next question is from uh, who is it from? Uh, and I lost the name here, but it's my friend had a hamstring injury at the end of the season last year. She's now able to return to running, but her heart rate is through the roof. And traditionally, she's a lower heart rate athlete. Most of her runs have been in zones four and five for heart rate, while her RPE is much lower than that. Uh, she doesn't use a chest strap, so presumably the heart rate here is from the, the Garmin on the wrist. Uh, is there any advice to offer for uh, this situation? Get a chest strap. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> strap. You just can't. Your hand moves around too much. So the data there is, you know, I don't want to get in trouble here, but it's probably, it's probably, you know, when you're running hard anyway, probably meaningless. Uh, you know, if it was taking somewhere on the on the earlobe or somewhere on your head that wasn't moving. Uh, great but or you know chest is also good because it's not moving that much but your hand and wrist are just moving too much you know to, to actually get an accurate measurement there um so i get a chest horror monitor and then i retest your zones uh yeah you could even use the 20 minute test to do that uh or some kind of test but yeah i wouldn't rely on the wrist heart rate monitor at all i'm actually in a situation now where i i have lost my heart rate monitor is somewhere here in my room but i can't find it so for the last few days when i've been running uh the heart rate that is uh, the, that is recorded is from the Garmin, and I make sure to always go in and delete it in Training Peaks yeah. afterwards because I don't want to be confused by by incorrect data. Um, but I mean, this situation does occur even if we can rely on data. With some, uh, I don't know if that's the case here or not. The data might be inaccurate, but but it does occur in in athletes that do have a chest strap. So so if we assume that that's the case, um, I think in this situation there are some things like. Uh, low plasma volume after you've been out after training so that causes heart rate to go higher yeah as you say you can retest your zones and they will be probably be different after a time of detraining than they will be after a time of training so so i my general advice here in in a situation like this is to if if it's a somewhat experienced athlete that knows how to use rpe then just use rpe for a while and then over time uh things will start to align again uh, like they were before yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know how far the injury is here, uh, or it, it might not be. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. at the end of the season last year, so it's been a few months, uh, let's say three and a half months probably. So you could probably do some kind of testing now, uh, if you know, if if she feels like it's no longer an issue. Um, but yeah, yeah, if not, you just build up gradually, like you say, by RPE, um, and yeah, then you go into testing um, if you want to get those heart zones correct. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next question is, is there a validated method of calculating caloric expenditure from run power? Um, honestly, I don't really use run power that much. So um, I'd have to say, uh, I'm not sure if it's a validated method. Um, yeah, I mean, you could work it out. Probably one for you here, Michael. Yeah, I've, I don't think there's a validated method. Um, it's, I think, first of all, power from different sources are very different if you compare the power that your garmin calculates versus a stride pod uh or um yeah the others other sensors that might be out there they are all quite different so that doesn't mean that they they might be useful in terms of pacing and so on but it's um i I don't it's not clear what exactly they are measuring or rather 
calculating from certain measurements. So uh, it's not mechanical power. It can't be because we can't measure that without strain yeah. gauges and things. It's Is it metabolic power? Well, you can't really measure that without gas exchange. I've, I think Stride released some white paper that they they kind of aim at they aim at um, correlating well with metabolic power. So it should correlate with the oxygen consumption if you do a, a run on the treadmill with, with gas exchange. But it's not, I don't think that you can say that, well, they have the exact uh, kilojoules uh, spot on, even if the correlation is good. So no, I don't think there's a validated method of calculating calorie expenditure from run power. Um, I I think that there's a, a good uh, rough rule of thumb, which is, your uh, your body weight in kilograms times the number of kilometers you run. So if you run run ten kilometers and you're seventy kgs, then seven hundred uh, kilocalories is what you burn. That that's been validated on on a track. So if you run on a hilly course, then it's going to be very different. But it's it's relatively stable to different speeds as well. So so just using body weight and distance for a fairly flat route, you can get a a good estimate. But the other question there is. Why do you need to know your caloric expenditure? Yeah. Because it's even with bike power meters, it's still an estimate. It's not really useful for a lot of things. And yeah, I, I don't know why you why you need that. Because even if you could track that, it's a lot harder. You can't track your swimming calories. You can't track your um, your basal metabolic rate. Can be is um, are you going to go in and measure that? Are you tracking all of the things that you're doing outside of training? There's not not that much point in doing it i don't think mm. i mean i i just don't i mean running power useful but well not not actually that useful i don't think if i'm honest um i don't really see any of the runners that i'd look up to using it um or yeah and i, I, I don't really find it that reliable to use i mean yeah so i don't use it um that's just my general take on run power if i'm honest yeah 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 I, I don't i don't use it at all either i can see the pacing aspect if, yeah. with it um but even though i don't personally use it but but i definitely don't think that um calculating or trying to track caloric expenditure from it that's not that's not the good use of it as a tool um the next one is another more technical uh question lactate monitoring what lactate levels to target during a threshold workout hot topic um so yeah so the best way to do this is honestly to, to go and do a step test and get your own individual values um so not to rely on generic numbers um because it, it probably won't be accurate uh you know generally if you if you want to pick a number uh but yeah it's, it's just pick, it kind of is just picking a number uh you probably say around your second threshold is going to be around four millimole per liter uh but yeah i mean the best way is to go and do a step test and get your individual values uh based on your own lactate turn points and not rely on generic numbers um is is what i'd say there I think I think that's the only way to do it. Like if yeah. if you pick four millimoles, then that's the same as picking. It's I'm going to use my threshold. It, it's 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 like picking yeah. picking yeah two twenty <laughs> minus age or picking my threshold runs is going to be one sixty beats per minute or even without knowing your your actual zones. Uh, yeah. But but even then, I think that the I I don't I would question the utility of testing. I I don't I I think that doing a step test is great if you have the opportunity. It's not it's not something that you have to do it's a bit more of an icing on the cake thing but it, it can be useful i don't necessarily think that the testing within workouts to really fine-tune things i i have a hard time seeing that that would be helpful for 99.9 percent of, of athletes i don't think it's uh 
really a good use of resources and uh, yeah. energy. I mean, there's, there's times when you might want to use it if you're, for example, doing a tempo session or you're making sure that your lactate is staying low enough or you want to know what it is, for example, at the end of a time trial, uh, that, that kind of thing. But, like, honestly, I've been in these performance environments as well and, like, we were using lactate, but we weren't using it anywhere near to the same extent. I don't think people make out you, you lose lactate, you use it. Um, it's an interesting them to have. Uh, but, you know, like, like any of these data points, you use it in combination with other, other things. Um, and so I know there's a big thing around using lactate with what Norwegians are doing. Um, but, yeah, I, I still think that you probably don't need to use it as much as is being made out in the media. Yeah, um, yeah I saw I saw a, a really interesting new paper released quite recently that they basically did... Uh, I don't think it was a step test. It was a ramp test that they did, but they they measured everything: oxygen consumption, lactate, and, and all sorts of things, and heart rate. and And they basically wanted to see what is the day to day variability in things like VO two max, uh, lactate at certain power outputs, and so on. And see, yeah, the, uh, basically see the day to day variability. And lactate was an order of magnitude more variable than all the other things tested, like more than VO two max, than heart rate, and so on. So I think if you go and do a ramp test and you get your okay. I can see where the my curve tilts and this is my my second lactate threshold then you associate a heart rate with that that's a, that's probably the best thing you can do or a pace yeah. especially if you run outdoors but a pace indoors on the treadmill I think still heart rate might be the the better one to associate to to the lactate itself yeah. but then if you try to use that exact lactate number let's say it's 4 millimoles then well on one day it might be 4 but then on the next day it might be uh, 3.2 and on next day it might be 4.8 but your heart rate might be within two beats per minute or one beat per minute every single day so so i think that yeah heart rate and pace or power those are more accurate to use so associating the, them with the actual turn points on the lactate curve i mean and you know i know people want specific numbers and to know this is this is x and you know but you're not a machine and you will change daily uh so that's yeah. why you, that's why ideally give sessions by maybe a, a range of heart rate or you know yeah. a range of power rather than just x yeah. power yeah yeah right so moving on to a few um running uh race prep questions race training questions so we have a number of marathon questions from muhammad first of all what are the long run distances that should be done in the different phases of training for marathon okay so i'm going to answer this fairly generically for an intermediate runner um, so I'd say the longest run is probably going to be around 20 to 21 miles. Um, and you probably start off, you'd probably start building those long runs around 16 weeks before the event, uh, in which case that would be starting the five to eight mile mark. It's, it's very broad uh, because it really depends on who you are. Um, again, I'd say your long runs probably consist of around 30% of your weekly volume. Again, if you're doing triathlon, that might, might be slightly different, uh, but that's a general good rule of thumb. And then to periodize it, I'd say you'd want to do about eight to 12 weeks of build of a base, uh, four to eight weeks of build, and then a peak phase of around one to two weeks and a taper phase of about one to two weeks. Um, the base phase there is to focus on building endurance and developing the early aerobic base. Um, yeah, the build phase is where you start to introduce high-intensity ex- uh, workouts and the peak phase with probably more race-like intensities. Uh, and then obviously in the taper phase, you bring down the tra- total training volume um, and allow the body to recover before you race. 
Um, yeah. Does that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes 20, sense. Yeah, 20 to 21 yeah. miles, that's yeah. 30, 32 to 33, 34 kilometers, something like that. 31 yeah. to 30. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. I think for an intermediate runner, that's that's exactly what I would I would say. I think for a for a beginner, a first timer, I would say trying to do at least thirty kilometers, maybe thirty two kilometers as their one longest run, building up to that. For an intermediate, yeah. I agree with that kind of thirty two to thirty four. For mm-hmm. a for somebody running, let's say two going for a two fifty or faster, two fifty to two thirty, thirty four to thirty eight, and yeah. and if you're going for sub two four thirty, I would say you got to do a thirty eight kilometer, maybe all the way up to the marathon distance in training. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're obviously doing it a lot fast. You know, the faster runners do it a lot yeah. faster, spend a lot of time, yeah. a lot less time on feet. So actually, you look at it time wise, it's probably it's probably pretty similar, right? Uh, and, but but that's yeah. also specific to the race because the slower yeah. runners spend yeah. more time out there on in, on race day. So so I think yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And uh, during the different periodized phases, should I include intervals, hill repeats, and long base work runs into the same four week cycle? Um, so I think first of all, know what you want to work on and focus on that. Um, you can't. Well, you, you could probably include all of these things but for most people i'd say uh you wouldn't want to work on everything at once um so it kind of depends on the course and it also depends on your individual training history and what your strengths and weaknesses are and the ability to handle the load um i'd say for a marathon the long run is essential uh but you got to build it up gradually uh then you've got the marathon specific sessions with a bit pace intensity you know i'd say that's also fairly important and then if you can build hills into the runs um then fantastic, but just manage the load properly and make sure you are you're getting the basics right before trying to make it too complicated. Uh, a lot of that time should be spent aerobic zone one, zone two, uh, and I think you've got to get that in and not focus on too much intensity until you've got that until you've got that nailed basically. Yeah, yeah. If you try to do all the workouts, uh, fit them all in, then then you easily run into issues with just trying to do too much and too too intense work. I, I think a good good way to go about things is well, you don't necessarily even have to do any testing. You might just look at your racing history. What is your five k PB and ten k PB? You can you can identify then. Well, am I stronger on the endurance side or the speed side? Get a bit of a kind of critical speed calculation from that, or even just uh, eyeballing it. If you're relatively experienced, yeah. it's, it's easy to see where you where you might be missing something, and, and that can be used to inform what is your weakness, what is your strength, and then obviously when you get closer to the to the race, then the key thing to do, no matter what your weakness or strengths are, is the race uh, specificity. Um, and I guess that's the, Go on, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to say that that leads into the next question, which is how one moves on from the general fitness to specificity training for a 42K for a marathon. Uh, yeah, so I'd say, yeah, you just want to start about general, fit, general consistency and frequency. Um, so... As, as I said earlier, you know, you want to establish that, that aerobic, I know, uh, cliche base. You want to establish the aerobic base because you want to have the miles in your legs to be able to then add on intensity. Um, so if you're, you know, a, a real beginner runner, then, you, you know, you're going to take a while to do this. You know, you wouldn't want to be attempting a marathon probably, you know, I, I would say probably in your first year. Uh, I know people do, uh, but you want to build up a lot of frequency and you want to build up the volume via frequency. Um and then you start adding the intensity in uh, once you feel that you've got a good handle on the frequency. Um, so, yeah, general fitness specifically to 42K, I'd say, yeah, if you are a beginner, I'd, I'd extend that base, base period. Uh, 
maybe adding a bit of intensity, but but not too much. And then as again as you get close to the race, you start add, adding in a bit more intensity um, and start making the sessions look a bit more specific. Um, yeah, a lot of that though, you know, if your first marathon and it's the first time you've you've really you've really done anything like that, you know, you can't really go wrong with zone two running. Um, but yeah, just make sure you handle the load correctly and don't increase too much because the biggest kicker with a marathon is it's you know if you get it wrong you'll get injured and then that's all that training gone. Um, yeah, I I think that might answer that. Is, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I would add. For me, the key thing when moving from the general preparation to specific preparation would be that the the long runs would become marathon specific. So mm. before that, maybe you just do your uh, you could do your long runs just as easy aerobic runs. But then when you move into the specific phase, I would include the marathon race pace in the long runs. So um, yeah, I like doing things like three times six k marathon pace, three times seven k, three times eight k, depending on how far you go. Yeah, how advanced a runner you are, I would build up to for a pretty advanced runner three times ten k with one k uh, easy jog in between. So those sorts yeah. of work. But obviously, for a more beginner, it, they would look maybe a lot less. Uh, you would have less less of a total volume of marathon pace in there, but also the difference between your marathon pace and your aerobic pace would be a lot smaller. So so it's not necessarily as as taxing anyway in that sense. But I mean, yeah, so- I. I I would say inclu- including the marathon pace in the long run is the key thing yeah. for me. And then, you know, you wouldn't, I know I've generalized it a lot, but I, I'm not advocating just doing zone two all the time. I think if you are, you know, in that base period, I think if you are a more advanced athlete, uh, you've got some some history in the sport, uh, then you would probably do some faster sessions in the week. What that would be would depend on your strengths and weaknesses. So it wouldn't be a case of just going from no intensity to then adding some intensity in, uh, but that intensity would be controlled. And it would serve a specific purpose, um, but yeah, and it, and it would depend on who you are before you started in implementing it into the long run. Uh, but that's how my approach would be anyway. Uh, yeah. It might not be that specific. It might be you know, VO two reps or something that you were doing. So it's not going to be the first bit of intensity you do. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the final question here from Mohammed is: How do you build speed at the end of a for, uh, marathon to ensure one finishes the last five kilometers strong? This is a fun question. <laughs> This is a, yeah, I mean, I was, I was chatting to my friend about this. Uh, he's run a 214 uh, recently. And honestly, he, he was doing some crazy things. But uh, I think the best thing to do would be, yeah, you've got, you know, you got to pace it right. If you want to finish strong, you got to pace it right. So you got to have a realistic pace expectation of, uh, you know, negative, negative split it, basically. So don't go out too hard. Negative split it and have realistic um, expectations uh, obviously your nutrition so you know if you can train your gut um, you know <laughs> go out on these long runs and train with with a nutrition that you're going to be using on race day so you don't have any surprises uh, and then yeah see what you can handle um, you know a lot of people can't handle as much in the run as you would on as you would on the bike uh, and then also take into account things like conditions um, you know if it's really hot then you're going to be running up slower probably um, you know and then, yeah, you could you could train specific wise. You could build in some tramp work, uh, include some hills, maybe that help with muscular endurance side of things. Um, like you could probably do some of these runs as like build runs, that kind of thing. Um, so you're increasing the pace towards the end, uh, which is basically a negative split anyway. Uh, but I think if you can get the the race specific stuff right, so the pace and nutrition and being smart in the conditions, then. You'll finish as strong as you should finish at the end of 42 kilometers. Um, anyway, 
Yeah, yeah. It's not the question asks how do you build speed, but it's not about building speed. It's about being having really good endurance to maintain uh, the speed or and pacing it right is uh, the absolutely most important thing. And then nutrition, hydration, as you say, I don't don't have much else to add there. If if you've done your key marathon specific sessions, your let's say you've built up to three times ten k, then you know exactly okay what is the pace that i can do what is the pace that i can't do and you can pace that accordingly and, and to do those sessions you will need to uh, fuel and hydrate well so you get that practice as well so so really it, it almost uh comes as part of just getting through the training period if you if you have a a good specific build up in the in the last few weeks and uh maybe up to a couple of months before the race yeah um and the next question is from everett who writes i plan on doing a lot of trail running this fall culminating in my first trail half marathon i'm a bigger athlete at 89 kilograms and struggle going uphill conversely descending is a relative strength of my mind i am wondering what i could do in training to either minimize my weakness or maximize my strength um okay so i mean if you're i i you know you could probably like you got to carry the weight uphill, right? I mean, I don't know your um, build. Like that could be perfectly healthy, but it's you know it probably is. I'm not you know 89 kg. You're probably ad- taking a bit more non-functional weight than than you should be uphill. So obviously that would make a big difference. Whether or not you want to actually address that, because you know it might not be an issue. Uh, you might not, you know, that's up to you. But obviously that that's the big thing. Uh, I'd say um, you could incorporate more hill running. Uh, thinking about what your stride is is what you're thinking about the length of your stride that kind of thing uh when you're running uh building a bit more strength work in in the gym adding things like uh squats adding things like lunges um making sure your coughs can take can take the trails uphill um yeah i mean but if i'm being honest if you probably if you lost a bit of weight then you probably run a bit faster uphill but you know i don't really want to say you should because i don't know if if it's healthy for you or not, um, but eight to nine kg is obviously quite heavy for a runner. Um, I hate saying things like that, but that, that's probably that's probably the case, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything to add there, Michael? Yeah, one thing to add is with trail running with uphills, it's sometimes difficult. Pacing can be really difficult because you don't yeah. actually know how long the hill is. Like you, you end up going with the the runners you think you should go with, and then you realize that this hill that you thought was five minutes is actually 35 minutes and, and then you screw yourself up and end up walking into the finish uh i've i've done that i've also taken the car to the finish um but so so actually knowing the course i think is really important in trail running because you can't always see what's going on and and then doing tr- doing specific training on trails to know okay how how hard can you push it up a two-minute hill versus a 10-minute hill if you have that terrain around you? That's the one thing I would add. Obviously, the training effect is crucial there, as you already said, but also the pacing effect, just knowing what you can and, and cannot do. And and I would also say with trail running, even more so than marathon running, um, I would say a negative split is important. Negative split in the sense of not necessarily time-wise because you can't really – It's it's not important on trails but in terms of feeling strong at the end because if you go out too hard the first half and then you start to feel tired on trails then you cannot use your strength for going quickly downhill you start to lose coordination and you start to stumble and potentially fall and yeah yeah, everything just uh, falls apart so so really conservative pacing when it comes to trail running i would say is is critical 
And then, you know, when you're running downhill, you can really batter your legs, right? So, yeah. um, I, you know, just like you say, pacing, but also thinking about, yeah, whether it's smart to be running that. F- I mean, I don't know which race you're training for, but yeah, wh- whether it's smart to be running that fast down that hill, if you've got plenty more hills to go, uh, maybe that's something that, that could help uh, when you go uphill again, uh, just knowing when to use your strength and when not to. Yeah. 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 I think for trail running, um, the gym work can be really critical, uh, because of that, that factor, the, the amount of strength needed both going uphill and downhill. Um, right. So the next, uh, set of questions are about triathlon run training structure. And the first one here is running with power. What field assessment protocol to use for pinpointing MLSS or 70.3 power? Okay. So. As I've already said, I don't I don't necessarily use power, um, but you could probably use some kind of uh, step test and take the power from there if if you think the the power is is reliable, um, and that would correspond to somewhere in your third zone, so somewhere be- just below threshold but above zone two, uh, which is aerobic. Um, the other way to do it would be just to determine your critical power using critical power tests. So I think Strider one, which is three and nine minutes, um, you know, you could use three and nine, three and twelve, uh, and use the 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 formula to, to work out critical power. Um, and then basically for, for seventy point three triathlon, I'd say it's going to be somewhere between uh, seventy five to ninety percent of critical power that you're probably running in the race. Mid pack athletes, probably yeah mid to low i mean mid to high 80s um in terms of critical power um yeah that that would be the best way i'd say uh, other than just going out and doing a 70.3 and looking at what it is uh and then pacing it better next time um yeah but that, that would be my protocol for that if i was going to use it with power um yeah i probably use heart yeah. rate or rp uh heart rate a mixture of heart rate rp and pace to pace them uh, if i'm honest um yeah but yeah, um, power, that, that's how I do it. I mean, yeah, so my answer is that you could use the exact same test protocols that you would use for any. It doesn't matter if it's speed or power you're looking at. It's the test protocol would be the same. If you're doing a critical power test, then do a critical power test. My preference is using 3 minutes and 20 minutes if doing critical power tests. But yeah, you could use 3 and 12, 3 and 9. Um, the only reason you wouldn't use, I mean, you would do a 20-minute power test. But the problem is if you're trying to keep your run power up to date, is actually, you know, a twenty-minute test quite frequently is a lot of load on the muscle uh, and a lot of load on on the body. And you know, you can kind of get away with that when you're cycling. But I just find that it does take a bit more out of you, room-wise. Uh, it, yeah, I think I think yeah. it depends on the athlete there. Like I, advanced athletes, I honestly I never almost never do run testing or never like i don't some, i try to get my athletes to do like a 5k or a 10k and that's the testing that we do and not necessarily yeah. having to, to do both but just yeah getting a getting a race result from an open run and then you can use yeah. that and compare to triathlon running and that's that's all that's needed really you don't so so in running i i agree i am quite careful with testing but i think with more beginner intermediate runners the impact of doing a 20 minute test isn't so hard it's not like running 250 kilometers or 20 minute if you run let's say a uh, 5k in 20 minutes i think it's it's quite different so you could do that but it depends on the psychology as well how 
how the athlete perceives a 20 minute test versus another test and and again you could if if it's easier to do a race you could just use use a 5k or parkrun or something yeah as the test but yeah the, the point the point isn't whether whether to do the test or not but it's more so that it's the same test that you use with power as you would use with with speed like it's not it's no different if you if you want to test lactate then a ramp test if you want to test vo2 max then a gas exchange test if you want to test critical speed then a critical speed test and the, the protocols would be the same you just take the power data and correlate and and that's useful but then obviously take the speed data as well and get get all the data that you can the heart rate data get use yeah. use all of the data to uh when you interpret the testing um all right. Next one is: Does it make sense to do speed slash interval running when you're training for an Ironman? This one is from Takuto. Um, so, it, it, I mean, yes, I'd say from, for some athletes, and no for other athletes. So it really depends on your injury history. And the thing we have with triathletes is we probably haven't built up the same amount of load as pure runners. Uh, so that's the first thing to think about: is you know what, what is the most important thing here, and what you're trying to achieve. So if it's just trying to get around there. Iron Man, then you, you might not need to or might not want to. Um, if you want to go a bit faster, then, I mean, you're, you're targeting a time goal, then I'd say, yeah, it is important. Obviously, what happens on a bike is really important to what happens on a run in Iron Man. So you, you can't just think of those two things in isolation. Um, but yeah, if you can determine, you know, you have a weakness or you see some kind of hole in your uh, program, maybe you're trying to work on your economy. Uh, in terms of maybe your cadence or something like that, or yeah, then then I could see I could see a why he wants to do interval work, and a lot of athletes do do interval work. I set my athletes, well, most of them interval work, um, but it's all there for a purpose, uh, and it depends on the time of year as to what that purpose will be. Uh, you know, doing something twenty weeks out from a race, you can be doing something that's not that specific, but actually you see is a bit of a hole in their uh, profile that will help um, come race day. Um, in terms of maybe it's like a, acting as a ceiling if you're working on VO2 max work. Um, maybe if you're, you know, lacking a bit of strength, then you want to be doing hill repeats, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so yeah, for, to, to uh, fill up a waffling answer, uh, yeah, for, for most athletes, I probably would, if it's, but it has to have a purpose. Um, but there is certain circumstances where you wouldn't want to. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that, and I think I think it's all about the timing. So, as you said, twenty weeks out—that's a completely different thing than five weeks out from from the Ironman. When when you get closer to the Ironman, then for a lot of for some athletes, you might still do it, but for a lot of athletes, you might be only focused on just getting in the specific training, so specific race pace maybe a little bit faster than race pace but still those long aerobic intervals so not really speed training at all by any stretch and, and some brick uh, brick runs off the bike just to test that your bike pacing and run pacing and run nutrition is uh, is on point so so it's a timing question i i say that yes it makes sense but but a lot of the faster running would come a bit farther away from the yeah. from the race and then when you get closer to the race then uh, you would be focusing more on the race specific work uh, next one from Simon for segment three and full distance. What do you think about never running faster than race pace in training and have all intensity done on the bike? I think we, we can just cover that one. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, never running faster than uh, race pace in training. Um, I mean, it, yeah, if you're injury prone, then maybe. Um, 
it depends on the athlete's goals and limiting factors for sure. Um, for an injury prone athlete, to be honest, I'd be looking to build up robustness and address the injury concern uh, and what's causing that before committing to an Ironman. Uh, because you're doing a 26 mile run at the end of a bike and you'll be very fatigued. So I think that that'll be the first thing I'd look at. Um, if I'm honest, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if you were injury prone and you're in just, you know, in the block of actually getting ready for an Ironman, then you might consider, especially not, not including things that are a bit more high risk. Like, I mean, I don't know why you'd be doing this close to the race, but like VO2 work, um, that, that kind of stuff, you know, whether you're running downhill fast, you know, those kind of things or what surface you're running on will be really something you probably think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, an Ironman is not something to travel with. I know, <laughs> I know, I know it's really popular. Everyone wants to do one, but I'd actually look at um, the injury concerns before committing to the Ironman uh, because it's probably going to be something that comes up and bites you uh, if you are going to if you are going to it as an injury prone athlete uh, and you're already committed to it. Then, yeah, potentially you would want to limit the intensity, um, and you could get quite fit on the bike things like your running economy probably will suffer for that but you probably will be able to complete the race um yeah yeah um i agree with all of that it and what else was i going to add i think it depends a lot on what your what your speed is like let's say you're a very fast uh runner runner off the bike if you're doing i don't know a 120 half distance run then you can get a lot out of you can get a lot of quality training uh, without running faster than race pace because a one twenty half marathon is about three forty five to three fifty pace uh, per kilometer. Um, so so that's that's you can get good quality training done with that. Whereas if you're thinking of race pace as a four hour Ironman or three and a half hour Ironman or five hour Ironman then it might be slower than what you actually generally run your aerobic runs. So <laughs> depending on a bit on who you are. So so I think it's a very broad question when we're talking about four, 73 and full distance, and it really depends on, on the athlete. Um, but yeah, I think I think it if if you're not an injury prone athlete, then I then I think that if you want to improve your run, you and your running is not like really fast already then you want to be running faster than race pace um but if you are really fast already then like let's say you're like you're world class let's say you do a 29 and a half minute 10k off the bike in olympic distance race well i i know some of the training and it's a bit different for everybody but but some of the the athletes that are racing at that level don't really do much training faster than than that pace ever and and they're (laughs) running really fast but that's obviously a whole different different pace so i think that that's my point here is that it's it's very relative to what your race pace is and where you are so the answer can change completely if your if your race pace is 255 per kilometer or it's six minutes per kilometer yeah yeah sure um yeah i'm I'm a bit dissatisfied with that answer i don't know i don't know if i made it made it clear but but i think you your initial answer was was a good one so um, so that's all good. Let's move on to the next one. I'm training for Olympic distance and do a lot of additional bike events. My weekly workouts consist of five bikes, two swims, and three runs. What is the best distribution for my running? I currently do one long run, one hour 30 to two hours, one interval run uh, of varying intensities, half marathon pace to VO2 max efforts, and one 45-minute easy run with strides. Okay, so um, like I wouldn't try to make it complicated. Um, obviously you'd want to have a purpose for every session and 
as I've already probably hopefully made important made, made clear that I think you can't understand the underestimate the importance of an easy or aerobic run. So don't just don't just add in intensity and quality to to get rid of those runs. I mean, you are doing um, an easy run and a long run. Um, what I'd say is, if you're training for Olympic distance. I don't necessarily think you need to do a two-hour run. I mean, there could be a good reason why you're doing that, um, but I don't think, you know, for, for most people, I don't think a two-hour run would be necessary. Um, if it's just time at, you know, doing something longer, then I'd probably be doing that on the bike, if I'm honest, um, less injury risk. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd look at the frequency because I think the frequency of running. So maybe if you were doing a two-hour run or even like a one-hour 45 or one-hour-and-a-half run, you know, you might want to split that if you're focusing on Olympic distance so that you have more running. Um, an interval run, yeah, uh, for sure. That, that makes sense at certain times of the year. Um, I'd also look at what pace you're going to be running off a bike. So this is a very person-specific, but you, you might be running in zone three off a bike. You might be running in zone two off a bike. Um, so if you're running in zone three, I'd, I'd be including something more like a tempo run. And that tempo run is just below lactate threshold or lactate turn point one. Um, so that might be something you want to include. Um, but yeah, I'd look at the frequency. I'd say you probably don't need to be running in two hours, but there could be a good reason why you are in your, in your circumstance. Um, and I might look at adding a zone free run in there if you got the other stuff nailed and you can handle the load. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. I, I'm also looking at the two hour run or up to two hours. And, and I think that that's excessive for on Olympic distance and and that time and energy could be could be probably spent better by breaking up that run into two shorter runs. Maybe one of them could be that tempo run and uh, or as you say, doing a some longer work on the bike. But it sounds like he's already biking a lot, so probably one or two of those bikes is quite long. It I think it um, the general principle. If you have three runs, if that is your uh, capacity to run because you you're focusing more on the bike you right you do a lot of additional bike events then one long run long aerobic one interval run and one other additional easy run aerobic run i mean that's a good template yeah. but it's going to at some point you're going to be limited by your amount of running so it's all about what your goals are if you if you get to a point where you're plateaued you're running then i don't think there's any other uh, any any other any other option than trying to do some more running if you want to improve your run so so you just have to realize that with three runs there's only so much that you can you can do and i, I mean i get the temptation to be adding that so maybe that's why he's doing the two hour run right um because he's like well i don't have the time to, but i would yeah. split that up if you can because yeah. yeah i'm not sure you're getting from that and the longer you're running for right the probably your form is getting worse um so you know it's not a massive injury risk but you you could be running a bad form and you might you know it's, it's probably a bit more increased injury risk right so i'd, I'd rather you yeah. do four runs um yeah if, if yeah if, if, and if anything like let's say his interval run is one hour total and he has the 45 minute easy run i would rather do then the long run be a maximum of 90 minutes so an hour 30 and then increase the two other weekly runs to an hour 15 and an hour 15 both that would be about the same amount of total volume as if you have the two hour long run but uh, split up more more evenly distributed and, and i think that there's value in making those uh other runs like a little bit longer but yeah. not quite as long as a proper long run yeah i mean yeah, yeah i'm not going to disagree with that 
Right, let's move on to the next one, which is from uh, John, who writes, it seems to be a common enough view that one should avoid high volumes of run training and intensity for age groupers in order to prevent injuries and focus on building endurance through swim and bike training. The question is, how far can this go? What are the limitations to this approach and what do you need to take into account? Okay, so avoiding high volume of run training and intensity for age groupers to avoid. Okay, so... um, I'd say, I mean, this is a specific question uh, and athletes don't all come in the same, you know, not all the same. So I've got older athletes who do do a bit more volume than probably the majority. And I've got some who, who can't handle it as well because, you know, maybe just look when they started before they started working with me or, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I'd say, yeah, I mean, you can get fit out of doing some bike training. Um, what's going to really, really suffer really is your running economy and running economy is important. Um, so I'd say most athletes are probably spending under half the amount of time they spend on the bike running. Um, a time crunched athlete probably does close to a swim run, uh, time just, you know, you could swim a lot more, but don't have time. Uh, so, and I don't think pro athletes are really doing much more than half the running versus biking. Um, so just cause the injury threshold is higher of running than it is cycling. So, um, yeah, I mean, the limitation would be that you probably don't develop a good running economy. Your run-specific muscles are probably not developed so much, and there's an increased injury risk. Uh, so if you want to be running faster, I'd say you probably need to be running more frequently. Uh, but for most athletes, um, you know, and that's probably the top end of age groups, uh, that kind of thing. Or if it's if it's your weakness, then yes, you probably want to be running a bit more. But you don't want to get injured as well. So it's a balancing act. So what can you handle? What What's your load history? And what can you do consistently? Um, would be the key questions there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you if you are injury prone, you're a bit older. And yeah, you, you could definitely get a lot more bike training in and your general fitness would improve. Um, and that, that would generally help your run fitness as long as you're getting some running in. Um, yeah. yeah. That it's a bit of a rambling one. I think it does. I like. I think you said it's a balancing act, and I think that's exactly right. It's it's a balance between what what is the individual athlete characteristics. Are they injury prone or not? That that's a main one. Secondly, what are their goals? Are their goals to become faster, or and and where do they? Where does that increased speed come from? Can it come from swimming or from biking, or does it have to come from running because they're kind of tapped out on their swimming and biking gains or uh or that's or the running is more of a weakness and more of a low-hanging fruit so uh so there's just a lot to yeah i I don't think you can i i wouldn't say that i i don't i disagree with that it would be a general consensus that one should avoid high volumes of run training and intensity i disagree with that but i think it certainly makes sense for some athletes i think Um, high volume running is different it's relative so a high volume of running would not be the same as a high volume of swimming or, or cycling Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's like yeah. for an age group where I think if you run five hours a week, that's, that's quite a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So even, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a, yeah. yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I think that, yeah, that that's the, the beauty of triathlon that you can be on a relatively high running volume, but it's actually not uh, anywhere near what you would have to do as a runner. So, so in terms of injury risk, it's still, it's still a lot better but yeah i'm just looking at this question what are the limitations to this approach yeah i just think you said you nailed it like you the specific adaptations the running economy and and also some of the specific like metabolic adaptations getting your 
threshold up to a high percent of your VO2 max. Like you can probably get a lot of the central, the VO2 max adaptations. You can get a bit of a crossover from cycling and swimming. Not a complete crossover, but you can get quite yeah. a bit from that. Um, but but I think things like getting your threshold yeah. to a high percentage of the VO2 max, that's a, that's a lot more difficult without actually yeah. running and running quite a bit. Sure. And yeah, I mean, you can think about things like, I mean, this isn't answering the question, but for those athletes who are, you know, a bit worried about, you know, think about what you're running on. I know, uh, you know, a lot of, I'm not going to generalize, a lot of guys in the States here, especially like ones who live in Florida, <laughs> they don't really seem to have that many trails, that kind of thing. Uh, whereas, you know, UK based athletes, a bit more luckier, we have a lot more trails. I know that's there is some places where you can, but think about what, what surface you're running on. Uh, you know, not trail isn't really technical, but something a bit softer underfoot, maybe running on grass instead of uh, asphalt. Um, that, that kind of thing is also going to help. Um, and, you know, maybe incorporating a bit of strength work at, where appropriate and, you know, that's going to help as well. Um, yeah. yeah so that's a bit off topic, but. Uh, the next one is from Antoine who writes, when I do a half distance triathlon, my heart rate is at threshold heart rate and my pace is about 415 per kilometer. So 130 for the half. When I do threshold runs in training, my pace is about 350 to 355 per kilometer. What is the best way to train for a half distance triathlon? Should I run at my race pace of 415 per kilometer or should I run at my race heart rate, which is that faster 350 to 355 pace? Okay, uh, I just have to read this question again. <laughs> um, so I think he's saying, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, he's running threshold, trying to run threshold off a bike. Is that what he's saying? Um, no, I think it, no, I think it's I think it's uh, open runs in training. So just general threshold runs in, in or what, what pace is. I don't think it's re- regarding brick workout specifically. I think it's about general race specific runs, going out and doing, I don't know, 10 by a K at race pace and should he focus on the on his race heart rate which leads to a, a higher pace in training or his actual race pace which is slower in a half distance triathlon so i, 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 can, I, 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 I can i can answer it first maybe because i think i think i think i get the question and then you can yeah, say, see say if you agree with me i think I, yeah go on you go first i think i got it but yeah go for it. yeah well so i think um I think you can do both, but it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, there are two kind of slightly separate, not not like crazy different, but slightly separate workouts. So, so when you do a threshold run, if if I prescribe you a threshold run, I would say that it's the three fifty to three fifty five. Let's say you can hold that for about forty five minutes at least, and that's that's probably your threshold. So that's a good good intensity to train at and and do good workouts at to try to to improve your threshold. Whereas there are situations when when you get close to the race, when I would also say that you should go out and run at that race pace, which is 4.15. And brick runs would be one example, but it could also be some longer runs with longer intervals, something like 4 to 5 by 3K with short recoveries uh, mm-hmm. of that 4.15 per kilometer. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I would prescribe these, the threshold run and the race pace run, I would prescribe them off of pace. Heart rate is what it is. I think the the discrepancy that you have here is that when you're doing a half distance triathlon, you've been out there for three hours, four hours when you start the run and it's getting hot, you're dehydrated already. Like heart rate is always higher when you do the the run in a triathlon, especially in a long triathlon compared to what it would be at the same pace in just a workout. So so you can't really compare it uh, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you can't compare. I mean, generally, if I'm chatting to an athlete about 
racing and their race heart rate, I'd say you want to keep it a few beats below threshold in a 70.3, probably because there has been a bit of heart rate drift. Uh, and then for less experienced athletes, I'd probably recommend a bit lower and say high zone free heart rate uh, due to yeah. the lack of you know comparison. And then, yeah, and, and I think, I think this, this fits yeah. well with this guy because he he's yeah. pretty fit, right? Running 130 yeah. and, and he can hold his heart rate at threshold in, in that race, so it works well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, there is going to be some heart rate drift, but yeah, I'd, I'd say, yeah, you want to keep it a few beats off of threshold, uh, off the bike. And then, you know, if you've got the experience, you can say by RPE once you get, I'd say around 10k, if you get to 10k, and you, yeah, then you can probably push on or keep it the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So the next one is from Michelle. Triathletes in general and masters triathletes especially have to treat running very carefully to avoid injuries. Any advice on the proportion of run training to bike training that should be done? We kind of touched on this already. Yeah. I mean, as we said, it's, it's uh, person specific. So it depends on their background, their injury history, um, you know, the amount of time they got available to train. Uh, I'd say a very general rule of thumb um, would be two to one or, or less so two times the amount of cycling or running but that's very that's very general you know probably so general that you could almost discard it um but yeah that's, that's a very general rule um yeah, yeah as proportion run training to bike training yeah i think it depends a lot on how much total training time you have because if you have yeah. eight hours in a week then the proportion might be a bit higher because you just don't have so many so much time on the bike but if you have 12 hours then yeah it makes sense you can get in six seven hours on the bike maybe three hours on the run and and two three hours on the swim uh, i don't know what that adds up to but about 12 so so then yeah i, I think that r- general rule of thumb it makes sense but it requires a, a certain minimal volume because at seven eight hours of weekly training the bike proportion you don't have time to put in all the hours on the bike so then i think the running becomes a little bit of a higher proportion mm. but yeah i don't i don't think the proportion of run training to bike training is what is what you should focus on for injury prevention. It's more about the the volume of running in itself, the frequency of it, and and the intensity that you're doing. Uh, so yeah, yeah you know, more more so than the proportion, because that will depend on how much bike training you're doing, which doesn't necessarily impact your your injury risk. The next yeah. one is also from Michelle. Uh, depending on the age of the athlete, uh, consistently doing even one uh, track session per week can be risky. Any advice on how to safely do higher intensity running, so race pace or faster? So, yeah, I mean, it can be a bit more tricky, but I think it can be tricky for an athlete of any age, but definitely the uh, it's increased. Uh, i got an athlete in his 60s currently who is doing high intensity stuff and, you know, with no issues. Uh, I think generally you want to check check form and look for imbalances when, when starting with an athlete. Um, so simple things like, can I do the same amount of calf raises each side, that kind of thing, or yeah, glute bridges? You know, I know it's simple, but you know, if there's an imbalance, there's a different number, and you know, or it's particularly low, then there's probably going to be an issue there. Um, and then when you start introducing intensity, it, it should be very controlled and not introduced before you've introduced the the volume and the frequency of your sessions. So, so general aerobic stuff. Um, and then for for an older athlete, you know, when you do introduce it, you probably would start off a bit more progressive than younger athletes um so you wouldn't be taking so many jumps and you know the jumps shouldn't be too big anyway um and i'd be also be looking at surfaces so you know what are they running on again uh if you're running on asphalt or tarmac then uh, i can't remember the studios but 
yeah, one of my one of my guys I was talking to was saying about that apparently tarmac is eight times more um, force back than than asphalt even. So just things like that, right? Just just think about what you're running on. Um, try and make it a softer surface. Uh, does it have to be track? I mean, even running around the bend on track. If you're not used to it, you know, that that kind of thing that, that could lead to an injury. If you're introducing track sessions, do it cautiously and don't don't increase the volume too much, too quickly. Um, but yeah, so intensity control, uh, check the form, uh, make sure it's appropriate for the injury, for the athlete's injury history and uh, what they've been doing before. And then also surfaces, check, check what surface are running on and think about that. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is uh, consider doing hill reps because the slower speed when you do the same intensity on hills that is very that that is a very good risk mitigation strategy. But it also depends a little bit on what your weakness weak points are. Yeah. So, so if you struggle with maybe something like calves and so on, then then it can be uh, hills can actually be be worse probably. But uh, but in many in, for many athletes, I find hills to be a good uh, option to uh, to track. Yeah, I mean, and it, yeah, right. I mean, it, it's slightly different things like your form, uh, your stride lengths, and where you land. Even your turnover might be slightly different. Um, but yeah, yeah, if that's if that's something you work, if that is you know purposes just to get that high intensity work in, uh, then yeah, that that would definitely work. Yeah. Um, next sectional question is on brick workouts or brick runs, uh, and the first one is: Should I do brick runs all year round or only leading up to races? So. I think brick runs are really useful, um, but I think there is, again, you know, when it comes to running, it, there's an increased injury risk from doing brick runs because you're running tired and you're running fatigued. So uh, for most athletes, I'd probably say not, um, unless time availability is something. So going back to our athlete earlier, if he's got good form, um, he was only doing three runs. If he's got good form and he can run off a bike, maybe that would be, you know, just time-wise, enable him to run off a bike a bit more running. Uh, but yeah, in general, I'd say you want to be doing it before races. Uh, yes. Um, I don't really look at Brit runs as building any kind of like physiological benefit, more psychological and actually just getting used to the muscular, you know, getting used to how it feels to be, to be that fatigue running off a bike. And as you said earlier, checking nutrition, that kind of thing. So there's definitely a place for Brit runs, uh, in my opinion, uh, more towards the race specific time of year, time of year. Um, also, yeah just just check don't do too much because and then don't progress it too quickly just in case you're running a bad form and can lead to injury um yeah that's pretty much what i think there yeah um yeah i don't have anything to add i i agree with the, the one reason that i would give brick runs far away from races would be exactly that time availability if it makes it easy to fit in some extra running then it's a it can be a really good tool in the toolbox and uh useful but for specific let's say adaptations or uh, training reasons and so on that then i wouldn't do brick runs other than in the specific period when you're getting closer to racing and but in that case i would do them uh, for all of the reasons that you that you mentioned already in next question is from van in half and full distance training the standard brick run of a long or longish bike is usually 20 minutes is this sufficient is there any benefit in going 30 to 40 minutes every other week so, I mean, yeah, I mean, standard 20 minutes. Uh, for my athletes, the guys coach is probably 30 minutes uh, just because it is a bit longer and it gives a bit more time for things to settle down, see how you're feeling, 
you know, everyone always feels a bit weird for the first 10 minutes. Um, so, I mean, going to 30 minutes, I don't think is an issue. Uh, again, it depends on the form and the athlete's background, how well they can run off the bike and what the, what the form looks like. Um, yeah, for some athletes, yes. It basically, uh, in the same way as like some athletes would benefit from a long run slash tempo session, uh, the key question would be how much is the athlete's form deteriorating and what else do they do in the week and have they progressed to that point. So I wouldn't go straight into a 40-minute long run, uh, uh, run off the bike and I'd have to have a purpose behind doing it. Um, but in some circumstances, yes. Yeah, Um I think there's a big difference here between half and full distance training or at least and and also the the speed of the athlete if we're talking half distance but it's an athlete doing it a half distance in six to seven hours then I would definitely want to have some longer brick runs even getting towards an hour for maybe one of them because they're going to be out there for quite a long time on the run um, whereas the faster athlete yeah 30 minutes is fine for a half distance um for full for full distance i would i would like to build it up to or to have at least one one break run that is an hour uh an hour long um so i would i mean i'd look at the purpose of of it so for me i mean for me running well is all about consistency and not getting injured and building up time on feet because ultimately if you can do that on the long run you're probably what well, you are going to be a faster runner uh uh yeah i mean other alternatives i'd say is I mean, I'd look at what, why are you doing that? Uh, if it's nutrition, then yeah. Uh, but also, you know, you could be doing your long run and maybe the next day, that kind of thing when your form isn't so bad. Um, yeah, I, I just look at, you know, don't make it too long if you think your form's going to deteriorate. For, I know you're going to have to find for me, for me, for me, it's uh, it's pacing and it's nutrition and hydration. It's those three. And uh, just that's that's the way that you're going to have the yeah. best idea of figuring out did I pace myself well on the bike? What is my the right pace for me on the run? How is my nutrition working? And and if you have a couple of those one-hour runs leading up to an Ironman, the first yeah. one often doesn't go so well, but for the second one, you can correct those issues. And then that can give you some confidence that, okay, now I actually know what my what my pace is so oh, yes. so yeah it's, I mean, it's definitely not it's definitely not a training like you need to build your run fitness with them it's it's about the pacing and the nutrition and hydration um but yeah all those three yeah. things are, are so critical to the race that i i find it valuable to to include them but i i, I again i agree with you uh but I, I probably wouldn't be doing that every week in the time no in the, no 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 not not every week no it's more like two or three times um yeah that kind of thing yeah absolutely yeah it's but it's, it's like it's like a marathon like you're not doing a 32 kilometer run every week you're building up to it maybe you do it twice uh but yeah, yeah it's the same the same way that i see those those longer brick runs just doing two or three of yeah. them you don't want any surprises on race day of nutrition that's for sure yeah 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 um most big brick training covers running after biking but not biking after swimming what is the reason for this uh honestly i think it's just practicality um so i mean when I was at Loughborough, James got there, we used to do plenty of uh, bike to swims. I mean, swim to bike stuff, but honestly, like, is your pool going to let you take your turbo and put it on poolside? Uh, for most athletes, the answer is probably not. Um, I think there is, you know, running off a bike is a bit more intimidating than, and then, you know, nutrition questions, we just went over, you know, that, that's more of a reason to do it off a bike. But I think if you're looking at sprint Olympic distance, especially where the intensity is probably a bit higher or even, yeah, coming out of a swim, if 
you're not so good at swimming or something quite hard, then that that first bit of the bike can be can be quite hard because your heart rate's really high, and for some athletes that can be a bit uh, off-putting. So yeah, I think if you can practice that, uh, you probably would. It's just can you actually practice that um, and the logistics of it? Yeah, I mean, if I have athletes who have the availability to do that, we will do things like that. Um, but yeah, as I just said, it's can you can you actually persuade the pool to let you put your turbo on poolside, or do you have somewhere safe to leave your bike while you're in the lake? Um, I think that that's what puts a lot of people off that idea. Yeah. I, I think uh, for me personally, I've done a bit of open water swimming and then just having the the bike in the car uh, locked away yeah. and done a pretty quick transition, and that's been quite fun actually. A bit of a only done that a couple of times really but it was a uh, a nice kind of change of pace from from my normal training and i found it quite useful but i think that in general i would say that the the swim to bike transition is really important for short course racing or yeah. more, uh, and especially at the higher level obviously so then it makes sense if we're talking half and especially full distance then the swim is more of a well at least for a full distance it's, it's definitely like a warm-up so yeah. so you don't really need to practice the biking after swimming but whereas practicing the run after the bike again to me is a lot about the pacing and nutrition hydration so that's why having the long long bike and then seeing how you can run off of that is useful and, and i think the same principle although to a lesser extent applies for for half distance so so i think that there is yeah I, I i do think that for for long distance athletes it is more important to do the the bike to run for those reasons just ticking those boxes but but yeah there is a place i think i think it has some value to do the the swim yeah. to bike if you can and especially uh, for shorter distances it becomes more important than longer distances I mean, for, those, for, those, for those short course distance sessions they're probably doing that kind of thing off the back of a threshold set so you do something like 2100s um threshold yep. and then you get out and you do five minutes hard on the bike just because that 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 simulates the race as uh, how it would be um yeah and then you know i know this is a very small demographic but maybe if you're racing pro uh 70.3 you want to do that as well because um basically the first couple of minutes in a competitive 70.3 you're going to be spending at vo2 because you're going to have to get around people because of drafting rules and then you know that might apply as well for, for some top age troopers uh if if the marshals are being on it with the drafting rules um then i can see benefit for that as well yeah no, absolutely um let's cover a couple more questions and we still have half of the questions to go but we can maybe uh pin that for another time because we won't get through them all today uh let's just do two more uh racing and pacing related questions the first one is from jeremy socks or no socks on the run and if no socks <laughs> how do i train my feet uh not to get blisters uh, I, you know, this depends. Again, it depends. I, hate, I know people hate that. It depends on what the difference is going to be. So, if you're racing pro level uh, and you're trying to win the race, or you're at the top end of an age group, and you're trying to win the race, uh, then a couple of seconds might count. Um, and you know, from personal experience, I, I actually won a seventy point three basically by going through and just yeah having a fast transition to everyone else. Uh, but if you're if it's a longer race, maybe an Ironman, or maybe if it's if you're not trying to win the race and actually those seconds don't necessarily count, it's quite a bit of risk. Um, so yeah. And do you want to take the risk of getting your feet chewed up? Uh, basically, uh, there are things you can do. Uh, so if you've got no socks, then, uh, and you know where you're going to rub. One of the things I personally do when I race is I put 
the blister plasters in the shoes. Well, I know they rub, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but super glue them into the shoes so they don't move. So that instead of wow. rubbing against, um, instead of rubbing against like what the stitching or whatever, uh, you're rubbing against something a bit less solid, uh, and that tends to help. And it's not perfect, but it tends to help. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of depends on what your goals are. If you're trying to win the race, then definitely there might be some some point in doing that if you're willing to take the risk. Uh, but if you're not trying to win the race, or actually if the, the race margins are going to be a bit bigger than 15 seconds, uh, then putting some socks on, if you do it fast, is, is not going to hurt. Yeah. Um, I think one thing to consider is what what do you have coming up after the race, especially if, if you... So in some cases, it, you might you might know that okay, I am going to get blisters, but it's fine because I don't have any other. I'm going into my off season, and and I am I want to be competitive. I want to save every second I can. But let's say you have another race in two weeks, then yeah, you probably shouldn't take the risk if you know that you're probably going to get blisters because that will keep you out for a week at least of of running potentially, depending on how how severe they are. But that would be my experience. I I think that a lot of oh, I don't know a lot of people, but but quite a few people can get away with not having socks for a 10k in olympic distance or 5k for sure in a sprint distance but not you know half marathon in a 713 so so i think that that's kind of where the um where, where the limit is and and at least personally that's how i'd think about it if i would do a uh, a sprint or an olympic distance i would have no hesitation going sockless if it's a half distance i used to do all of my half distances without socks and I actually started getting a bit worse issues with blisters, so now I generally do it with socks. But if I if I was going into a race where, like, I whatever the race scenario is, I know that it can come down to, like, I'm chasing a certain place or a certain time, and then I and I know that I after that race I don't have anything else coming up that is important in the next few weeks, then then I would maybe take the chance of going going sockless and maybe now try to use your plaster tip. And if you do try, if you're running no socks. Try not to pour water on your feet because uh, that, that really doesn't help. Uh, I find that that tends to increase the risk of getting blisters. So when you're going for the aid stations and you're sniffing water in your head, just try and not get it in, on your shoes if you can. I know it's not always possible. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one one other tip I I've put just a lot of Vaseline in the shoes and that seems to help some, but it's probably not as good as the plasters it's not a foolproof foolproof uh, yeah. strategy it, it does help some i think if you want to get them out again though then it's probably a better idea because that's yeah. super messed up yeah yeah, yeah. it does work though Our, yeah all right well i think this is uh well sorry one one more question i promised uh racing and pacing uh this is from sam i'm racing a swim bike run bike run event 1500 swim 50k bike mountain run mm-hmm. 50k bike 1k beach run the middle run portion is up and down mount snowden involving a fair amount of walking and scrambling last year i paced by feel uh, occasionally checking my watch to make sure i was, wasn't pushing above threshold heart rate i have a stride power meter but found it wasn't a very good gauge of effort when things got steep and i had to walk how would you pace yourself in such an event so i mean heart rate i'd use heart rate for sure uh, again, as we discussed earlier, though, you might want to give yourself a bit more wiggle room. Um, yeah, I mean, the big thing if you're running at Snowden uh, will be your legs uh, will get will be at trounce. So a heart rate might not even, even if you keep the heart rate nice controlled, even if you pace it well, um, it's going to be the legs that are going to be the issue because you can get 
top of that and your calf's going to be burning, your quads are going to be burning, and then you're going to run downhill again. And, you know, probably not going to help things too much. And then you got to get back on the bike. So, honestly, I think this is one of those where you've really just got to go by RPE. Um, so use heart rate, but also RPE. Uh, if you blow up or your legs go, you start cramping, then, yeah, you're in trouble in this race because you've got a long way to go once you've once you've even done the run you've still got to bike back to the beach um so yeah i would i would honestly go be rpe and underdo it rather than overdo it uh for sure because yeah if if you do cramp up you're going to pay for that later on on the bike um and you know it's a serious serious run that um so yeah heart rate you can use um but the legs going to be probably be your limiting factor yeah do you know how long that run uh segment um, is I'm not sure which way they go up. Uh, I've run it a couple of ways. Um, yeah, what is it? It's, I, I think it's about 10 kilometers. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm kind of guessing. I've done it before, but I can't remember. It's it's steep. It depends which way they go up, how steep it is. Anyway, it's going to be going to be fairly tough. It's neat. No direction is going to be anything to trifle with. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with that. I don't have anything to add, really. Uh, mostly feel some heart rate. Um, yeah, that's... That's the way to go, I think. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for sending in a lot of questions. Uh, as I said, we have probably... I've gone through one double-sided paper of the questions already, and we have one other double-sided questions of uh, paper of questions still to go. So we'll try to uh, to cover them another time. But, uh, well, I have a coaching call coming up. I think that, James, you do too have some meetings. So, yeah, so we're, we need to pin it here and uh, resume another time. Uh, but yeah uh, thank you everybody for the questions thank you James for taking the time and uh, catch you soon always speak soon Michael I hope that you enjoyed this Q&A as always you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and be sure to check out our previous Q&As including the one on bike training with Lachlan Kieran and the one on swim training with Jack Hutchins that we've done earlier this year I also did one, uh, a solo Q&A on season planning, goal setting and personal limiters uh, very early on this year. Next Monday, I interview uh, Dr. Bent Rennestad, uh, who is a very well-known figure in the, science, in the sports science world. And we'll discuss three topics that, if done right, have great potential to improve endurance performance, interval training, heat training and strength training. And that is, it is a really good uh, interview and I'm really excited to have Bent on. So make sure to tune in for that one. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan. We have options for athletes of all different levels, for different budgets, and no matter what the size of your goal is. A few points uh, to mention to reduce the barrier to get started is that we have no minimum commitment term nor startup fees for coaching. And for training plans, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee for plans purchased on our website and an exchange guarantee so you can exchange your plan for another plan if you purchase through TrainingPeaks. We also have consultation and customized plan options and you can find out more on scientifictriathlon.com and contact us to discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use the free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days and get special uh, bundle including the Swim Trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.